Hi, welcome to James Miller Lifeology, where you learn to simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. My name is James Miller. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and a composer. Thank you so much for joining with us today. Let's get started. Did you know that on jamesmillerlifeology.com, you can enroll in the academy I created for listeners just like you? I've created courses you may take at your own pace, which will help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. Enroll in one of the classes today. I have a great show for you today. I'm going to encourage you that from where you started is not how you will end up. I'll also be interviewing author Jenny Mayer and reviewing her autobiography, Never Give Up, How Determination and God Gave Me a Better Look at Life. She is a perfect example of how where you started is not how you will end up. You all know me as a psychotherapist, but some of you may not yet know me as a composer. I currently have two albums which have been released. Think of both albums like books. Each composition is composed like a chapter in a book. The first album, Consolation, explores heartache and pain as a character moves to finding healing and hope. The second album, Restoration, explores a character's awakening and being restored to something greater than before. You may purchase these albums on iTunes or any other digital music store. The names of the albums are Consolation and Restoration, and my stage name is James S. Miller. The name of the piece you're currently hearing is from the second album, Restoration, entitled Introspection. Where you start is not how you'll finish. We often look at people in the movies and think, man, if I had that much money, my life would be totally different. I would have so many opportunities and I would be incredibly happy. But what we don't realize is we're all self-made people. Yes, we may not have some of the opportunities that some people have, but it doesn't mean that our life is going to end up the way it started. You often read about many people who came from pretty much nothing, but became something in their life. And you look at yourself and think, well, I could never do that. But why? Why could you not be that way? When you think about it, we're all self-made people. The choices you make right this second determine what's going to happen in the next second after that. All the choices we make line up together to become the person we are today. Often I've heard many people say, well, James, this is all I know, or this is how I grew up, or this is what I was taught. And you are absolutely right. That's what you were taught, and that's probably all you know. But if you find yourself asking the question, there's got to be more to life, well, then that simply means that you are not satisfied with where you are today. The way it works in life is we learn so many things from the people around us. And in fact, that's technically what lifeology is, the study of life based on all the people around us, which helps us become better and more successful. If you look at other people around you and you find that you're very jealous of them or that you are very envious in a lot of ways, a lot of that has to do with you are settling for where you are today. Sometimes we just don't know that there are other options. You know, going back to that whole concept of TV, when you look at things on TV and you think, man, I would really like to have that type of thing, or I would like to have more education like that person, or I really like that person's personality. I I think it's great how they laugh so much. If you find that the people with whom you associate don't necessarily demonstrate those behaviors or those personality traits, then you have to look at something different. You have to look for that on your own. Because remember, with whom you associate is as high as your life is going to go. And of course, that means nothing against the people that you're hanging out with. It just simply means that you want to always increase your ability to learn from other people. There are many stories of people who came from nothing and became something. There is absolutely no reason why you, who may have come from nothing, can't come to something. And a lot of that has to do with your perception. Whatever that something may be, wherever you want to be in life, 
is basically up to you. And I know for some people that's really hard to understand because they've encountered so much adversity in their life. Think of a skyscraper. The higher the skyscraper is, the deeper the foundation has to go. And for those of you who have come from nothing, that just simply means the deeper the skyscraper, which means the harder you fight and the harder you learn the things that perhaps other people have already learned, just means that once that foundation is set, there is absolutely no limit for you. When you really compare different circumstances, it's often better that people don't come from a background of having many things because they understand the value more of what they had to attain and what they had to learn in order to get what they have. So I would really ask you, when you look around your life and you want something different, what's stopping you? What is it within you that says, I could never do that? Because whatever it is, it's a lie that unfortunately you've believed. When you see the people around you and when you find you're envious of them, there's absolutely no reason for you to be because you can also have that. If you don't know people who've broken out of that box, look them up online. There's so many stories of people who have overcome adversity just like you. And I'm extremely confident that you can do it as well. Because remember, from where you started is not where you're going to end unless you allow it to be. A quick example of one of the courses you'll find in the academy entitled Spirit, Mind, Body, The Perfect Triad. This non-religious course helps you understand how your intuition, or rather your gut, your logic, and your body all work together to help you overcome any obstacle you may face. Enroll in the class today. My guest today is author Jenny Mayer. She is going to share her incredible story, which will inspire you to never let your circumstances stop you from becoming the person you are meant to be. She will also be giving us insight into her book, Never Give Up. Welcome to my show, Jenny. Hi, James. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to have you on my show today. Yes, it's, it's, it's going to be a good experience. <laughs> That's wonderful. We are actually both somewhat from the same place. You're in Richmond, Virginia, and I just moved down to Florida a few years ago from Northern Virginia. So it's nice to talk to a fellow Virginian. Yeah, I, but it's nice, a lot warmer down there. <laughs> it certainly is. I cannot complain about that. You have a very powerful story that I'm looking forward for you to share to my listeners because I think it really touches on um, a lot of things that maybe people have struggled with in their own life, but your story is that of hope and of inspiration. So we would definitely want to focus on that. And I also want people to know about the book that you wrote as well. So I think there's so many places in which we can start, but why don't we just get a little bit of backstory from you as far as how you kind of grew up, um, and then we'll go from there. Well, I grew up with my mom was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and um, I have a brother that's four years older. But her bipolar disorder would cause her to go in and out of the hospital. And since I didn't have any other family, um, that meant we were placed in the foster care homes. Mm. And most of the foster care homes, I was not treated uh, well, usually by the other foster kids or just, you know, the experience of being moved out of my house at any given moment and living somewhere else. But um, not only that, growing up with, my mom was uh, very stressful because it was kind of, I kind of say it's kind of like walking on eggshells. You never know when something was going to set her off and she'd start getting mad, screaming, yelling, throwing things and stuff like that. So I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. So it was pretty, uh, I was, I, because of that, the stress that I went through so much as a child, I had a lot of medical issues. I had, you know, migraines, I had nightmares, I had, um, ulcers at a young age. So it affected me uh, not only mentally, but medically. And I actually started uh, 
hurting myself at a very young age because my mom didn't really know how to give attention because she didn't really get the attention she needed. So we're never like tucked into bed or kissed goodnight or anything like that or, you know, hugged or got the attention a child needs growing up. So I found out accidentally when I hurt myself, she finally gave me that love and affection. So trying to do that, I would actually hurt myself on purpose. And of course. Actually, yeah. And so it actually became an addiction where I became a cutter, where it, as I got older, it became more of the cutting would cause the, me to have the physical pain that would overcome the emotional pain that I was going through. Exactly. So. And, you know, I think that's, that's one thing I, I really want parents themselves to understand is, you know, obviously children are going to look for attention and there's positive ways in which people get attention and there's negative ways. And so right. obviously, unfortunately, you were in a position where the only way you felt you would get that attention was to do something that was negative and detrimental to you. And of course, like you said, it does turn into a learned behavior of, you know, the emotional feelings that you have to not feel it anymore. It's almost like you take that pain and you make it so it's, you can actually hold on to it, if you will. And that's by the actual physical sensation of what cutting is. And so I think that's what sometimes people don't understand is there really is a reason why people cut. It's their way of how they can express the emotional pain that they're experiencing. So I really want to normalize that for my listeners as well, that what Jenny went through in the sense of the, the cutting part of her life, that that is something that many people struggle with, but it's just not necessarily always talked about. So Jenny, I want, first, I want to thank you for your transparency with that. I mean, I know that was a part of your life and, and obviously you worked through those different things in your life, but it, it must've been incredibly difficult to have a childhood where you didn't feel like you really belonged, where you were uncertain of anything you did or anything you said could at any moment um, cause your mom to react a certain way or cause your your foster parents or foster siblings to respond in a way. That must have been a very lonely childhood. Yes. Well, and, and because the odd thing was, is because I didn't really know what that felt like to get the love and attention mm. that I really didn't know what I was missing a lot. I mean, I kind of knew from my friends when, like, one friend would always get a packed lunch and, you know, I didn't get stuff like that. I'd be, you know, I wish I could get a packed lunch. Or I played a lot of sports um, in high school. And even though I didn't want my mom there because my mom wasn't the best around people, Mm -hmm. but in the back of my head, I was kind of wishing she was there. So. And that's what teenagers go through. You know, they tell their parents, oh, I don't want you there. You're going to embarrass me and stuff like that. But in the back of their head, they're kind of wishing, you know, oh, I wish they just kind of show up. Sure. So, you know, it's, it's complicated being a teenager. And it's complicated being a parent of a teenager. But and and that's what uh, is very I, I like to point out to, you know, the listeners that um, there's a lot of mixed messages. But in the end, it's they no matter what they Teenagers need that love and attention and know that they're they're cared for and that they're, you know, wanting to be around. So Yeah, and that they matter. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so now moving forward, you after you graduated from high school, you went into the Air Force, is that right? Yes. Okay. So tell me about that. So you went from a place of not really belonging, if you will, those are my words, not yours, to coming to a place where you're part of um, something greater than yourself. You're part of the Air Force. You're, there, you have a lot of structure. You have a lot of discipline. And, and being a part of that, how is that for you to go from where you were to this newfound um, acceptance? Well, at first it was really 
great because uh, I knew about the discipline, so that it really didn't bother me. Mm -hmm. And it was I was used to having um, like more structure. But because I was pretty much disciplined through, you know, yelling and screaming for anything I did, it was kind of like I was used to it. So it didn't really oh. affect me in any <laughs> sure. way. Yeah. OK. But being a part of a group and being with people, you know, it was really I liked it a lot at the beginning. But then as I got to my assigned duty station, because I didn't have the the, the knowledge of how to communicate with others or be or we get close to someone and know how to, you know, do that bonding with other people because I didn't grow up with it. I didn't really know how to get close with other people. So I didn't, I was kind of a loner, but I didn't want to be, but I didn't know how to reach out to people to know how to, you know, have communication and stuff. So as I uh, got to my duty station and I was kind of doing my own thing, uh, it got to affect me more and more. And so I, my depression, I started dealing with depression and I, you know, tried doing things to make it my time, but I still didn't really have any kind of bondage with mm-hmm. any friends or anything like that. So that's when um, I started de- having to deal with uh, the depression again. And that's, I ended up being hospitalized um, while I was in the Air Force and for, for the depression and uh, initially diagnosed with bipolar disorder myself and had to put on um, medical discharge. Hmm. How was it for you to have that same diagnosis as your mother? Well, at first, uh, I didn't really think, I didn't really compare it because my mom was really angry and she had a, she had like psychotic episodes with hers. Mm-hmm. And mine was more, I'd get really depressed and then I'd get manic sure. where I couldn't sit still, you know, I'd go out and buy things, you know, I had to keep active and stuff. And then I'd, I'd drop to like severe depression where I didn't want to do anything. So, uh, mine was a, a different form of bipolar, but I also suffered from, um, post-traumatic stress disorder from my childhood and from different things that happened while I was in the air force. So that, along with the bipolar, and then also because of the cutting, you know, that was dealt with. So I, I was went through, I was dealing with a lot of different no, mental are. illness. Yeah, and yeah. it's hard to, I mean, it's hard to medicate bipolar by themselves to get the right medication. So, sure. and then because I didn't have any real close friends or anyone close to me, it made it that much harder. Like a, your support group, you didn't have much of that, sure. Right. So let me just tell my listeners real quickly, there are actually different forms of bipolar disorder. And the main ones that most people probably heard of is you have bipolar 1 and bipolar 2. Bipolar 1 is the one where it has the the... There's more manic episodes, meaning the, the, the grandiosity, the, the pressured speech, the um, doing things that are so bizarre and so um, energized to such a degree that it just seems very odd. And I'm using very layman, much of layman's terms here, but you'll find more of the manic episodes with a little bit of depression. And then you have what's called bipolar two. Bipolar two actually has more of the depressive symptoms with what's called hypomania. So it's not as much mania as you would see in bipolar one, but there's, there is a lot of that grandiosity. There is a lot of that feeling like you're on top of the world. And then you crash down to really low levels of depression. So I just want to kind of explain there's, there are 
I guess there are multiple versions of what bipolar is, but just wanted to separate that to help you understand the difference why Jenny was saying that her mother's bipolar was different than hers. Yeah, and there's usually when you have a bipolar disorder, it's usually also masked with another mental illness also. Mm-hmm. So yes. It's usually, so there's use, so it, that really makes it hard to find the right medication to stabilize because it's just, and I also suffered from insomnia. Oh goodness, so, and that makes it even yeah, worse. Yeah, dealing with insomnia, so I, it was really hard to get the right medication to keep me stable. Because, and and then it, the medication it takes like six weeks to find out if it's going to work right. So you have to go through a, a long time of you know going through you know counseling and Trial everything and error, like that, sure. yeah. right? And at twenty one, something happened to you. What? Tell us what happened at, at age of twenty one. I had. That was, I had called uh, 911 because I was depressed and I just really wanted someone to talk to. And it, uh, it wasn't a suicide uh, to call 911, but when I called them and they were heading in that direction, I just, I hung up the phone and it was, it was late at night. So I'd gone for a walk in my neighborhood. I had owned my own house at that time. And um, at that time I had seen uh, police cars going through driving by and I didn't think much of it. But when I went back home, I called 911 and I told them, don't send the police. I'm fine. You know, this, this isn't an emergency or anything. And they ended up sending the police again. And I was fearful of the police because of growing up. The police were the ones that took me away from my family. Mm-hmm. And I had different episodes, problems with the police dealing with my, you know, my mental illness. So I was really not trusting a police at all. And so when I went back home to second time and I told them, you know, please, I'm okay. And for some odd reason, I don't know why, the person that I was speaking to had just blurted out, oh, so you want to kill a cop? And oh, my I was, goodness. Yeah. And I was just like, no, no, I didn't. I don't, nothing. I don't want to. You know, I don't know what you're talking about. And so I hung up the phone and I had uh, run across the street because I knew they were going to send the police. And I saw the police going into my house with their flashlights and everything. And I thought they had left. And apparently they had staged a, a vehicle down the street where they could still see if I ran into my house. And so when I went back into my house, they uh, knocked at my front door and I went to run out the back. And there was an officer standing right there. And he had his gun drawn on me. And, uh, I had gone to the back of my garage where there's, there's windows so that you can kind of see out. And I had a, one of those little two inch folding knives that you keep in your pocket. Mm-hmm. I had one of those and I pulled it out and I was just telling them, telling them, don't shoot me or I'm going to stab you, which was not the right thing to say. Of course. Yeah. But <laughs> I so they had brought in an officer, a sergeant, to kind of talk to me to talk me down and you know put everything down, and I was scared and didn't know what. And at that point, I was really wanting to die, and so it was just cross talk. And I got a lot more into it on my book, but basically, what ended up happening is uh, they got to a point where. The captain came out and I guess they got tired of talking to me and they had told me that they were going to come out and they were going to call SWAT to come in. And at that point, 
my vision was, like you see on TV, you know, SWAT comes in, they throw tear gas, they do all these blasting things, and, you know, they come in with guns drawn and everything. So I'm thinking the worst, and I went to draw the fire extinguisher that was in my garage, thinking that if I sprayed them, they'd get out of the way, and I'd run past them, which makes no sense now. Sure. But <laughs> I... I I got the fire extinguisher and in order to spray the fire extinguisher, I needed two hands. So I had to drop the knife. And as I was spraying the fire extinguisher, I was moving towards the door and I had seen the flash from the, from the gun. But at the moment I didn't know what it, what was happening. Everything slowed down for you. Sure. Yeah. I fell back against my, my car, against the hood of my car and I fell down to the ground and I looked down and I could see drops of blood coming from my mouth. And it ended up that, uh, I was shot with the 45 and it was shot in the mouth and it had gone out down through my lower jaw and I, it, it shattered most of my lower jaw that I ha- almost died. I had, I was air life out of there and they, at the beginning they handcuffed me and they had me on my, my stomach and I, the I could feel the grass poking at the bottom of my jaw that hurt like crazy. I'm bad. But I was on I had to have I had to have a trach because I'd stopped breathing in surgery and my tongue had swelled up and so I, I ended up they charged me with attempted murder and assault of a police officer and I had a halo of pins around my jaw to hold it together and they put me they put me in jail and they put me on a $150,000 bond and which I couldn't oh my pay off. Wow. Yeah. And so I ended up in jail. I had to be in, was in jail with this medical issues and I had to have multiple surgeries and I ended up being in jail for, I stayed in jail until, cause I was going to fight for the preliminary hearing and it ended up being six months when they plea bargained me and they told they said they had lost the tape and it was put on six months probation and the officers the uh sergeant that was talking to me he was put on administrative leave for investigation and he was only they were charged like six hundred dollars for the fee and the officer that shot me same with him he's, he was put and given six hundred dollars whatever and the captain he would they were investigate but everyone was cleared and just you know given told find whatever and but I've had to deal I I have no I have a lower jaw but I have almost no teeth down the bottom and I had it went basically through through the front of my mouth and it went down an angle through my lower jaw so uh I have I had to have my I ended up having my jaw wired shut while I was in jail so I wasn't able to eat much and I had had like six surgeries and now it's, I have like seven teeth. So such a traumatic situation that happened to you. I just, I I can't even imagine what that's like. I mean, that's something you would see in a movie as you tell me this now and you reflect back on that person, because obviously the person I'm talking with today is not that same person. When you reflect on the two different types of people, not literally, but today versus then what, how do you hear yourself when, when, when you tell this story? Well, back then, I mean, I I felt lost and alone and not really having any reason 
to live and I just there I had no hope for mm-hmm. the future and I just I mean I I had multiple times where I, I wanted to be dead and I just was lonely and I it, I was basically total opposite of what I I am now. Mm-hmm. I mean now yeah, I, I hear that. Now I mean even though I'm paralyzed I mean and and we didn't even talk about that sure. but you know I got paralyzed from a suicide attempt and you know I I was I was a quadriplegic I'm a quadriplegic but you know I didn't let that stop me that that's what actually turned my life around mm-hmm. and I know that some people might sound, think that sounds weird but that uh woke me up because I I realized that from the suicide attempt that I I shouldn't have survived from yeah. what I all the medication I took and I knew from because of surviving that suicide attempt that God saved me for a reason and yes. even though I had no knowledge I mean I've never read opened up a bible you know, all I knew was the child's form of Noah's ark I didn't know the real story and you know I'd never gone to church I don't didn't have any kind of biblical knowledge or even religion or anything but I I believed in God and I I believed there was a God I believed there was a God I didn't believe in God mm-hmm. and so but I I from being alive I knew that there was a reason and I was able to you know I I after I became paralyzed I mean that was just another fight that I had to go through with different all different different ways than I have ever imagined but you know it was a fight that I was willing to you know continue I mean I had my goal to live independently and to you know be as independent as I can no matter what anyone told me and uh you know I overcome so many obstacles as a quadriplegic from you know I was in the hospital for almost four years because of my disability, they didn't think I'd be able to take care of myself. And really nobody really want, was willing to take on the responsibility to help me. But, you know, I was able to overcome that, but it was, I, I, I realized it, it was finding God and realizing that how much he has saved me and how much he has, you know, helped me. And I, you know, I learned my religion. I, you know, go to church. I'm, I have lots of friends who are brothers and sisters in Christ. And That's wonderful. they, um, I mean, they've given me a new hope. And it's like, I no longer, when bad things happen or things that don't go my way, before I used to be like, oh, it's not going to happen that way. You know, now there's nothing, it's not worth living. You know, it's not, mm-hmm. you know, and just give up. But now it's like, okay, it didn't happen that way. There's a reason. I don't know what it is. But there's a reason and I just have to accept it. And, you know, I end up finding out later on, it all makes sense. It but all it, makes sense. Of course, yes, it didn't it make sense at the time. Yeah. But it's not meant to be. And you know, so. You know, it's interesting when I hear, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but when I hear this, you know, that you went from a whole, a life of not having support, not having structure, not having that love. And then after this event, as, as tragic as it is, of, of, becoming a quadriplegic, you now have a family that, that supports you. You know, it took some time to get there, you know, with the people who have the same faith as you, who, who support you and who nurture you and who love you, regardless of who you are, of what you can or cannot do. 
And I think it's just such a beautiful effect that, yes, it's, it's horrible that these situations happened, but there's always another way to look at something. There's always something that can come out of something that has been very traumatic or very painful in our lives. And I'm so glad to hear, you know, the, uh, the, the different sides of this. And, of course, I'm sure for my listeners, when they first heard the first part of your story, they're like, where is this story going? But to <laughs> hear this side of you, to know that you have hope that you have found a purpose, you have found um, a way in your life to just be the amazing person that you are, Jenny. And it's, and it's, and it's also, I mean, if I wouldn't have gone through a lot of the tra- tragedy I went through growing up, basically raising myself, I don't think I would be the strong person I am to have this fight as I am now. Yes. And, and that's what I mean. I mean, we don't know, we were going through troubling times and it's hard. But it's the realizing that there's there's a reason for it down the road. Mm-hmm. It might not be next week or next month or next year, but there is a reason for it. And it's like now when I'm in a tough spot, like, I mean, it could be something that a caregiver doesn't come to, you know, get me into bed and things are going wrong. And, you know, I just, you know, pray to God and, you know, tell him, you know, I, I know you're not going to, you know, just leave me and, you know, That's be right. not to be and. All of a sudden, I'll get a phone call or someone lets me know, and, and it turns around. And That's it's, wonderful. It's that faith, you know, and faith is is so strong. And it and the believing in a, a higher power and that, you know, you're, you're not going to be left alone. You're not going to be without that love and hope that I was without or felt I was without, you know, growing up and when I was a lot younger and everything. So. Yes. One thing I always really teach people, people is there's a there's faith versus fear. We have a choice. We can either have the fearful and anxious thoughts in our mind that ruminates over and over, or we can have that faith to say, I don't understand it. I don't know how it makes sense or how it will make sense, but I do believe historically everything has worked out in my life to such a degree that I'm okay. I'm healthy. I'm whole. I am the person that I want to be. And so really looking at that, do, the choice of, do I look at the faith side of it or do I look at the fear side of it? And of course, your faith itself, not only in in everything that's happened, but also your faith in, in God itself really allows you to say, regardless of your situation, you are going to be okay. And I think that's a really good lesson that many people that we all can really relate to, that we have a choice. Do we look in the and the, the part of our life that's more of the fear-based? Or do we look at the part of us that has that faith, knowing that regardless of any situation, we are going to be okay? Exactly. So Jenny, your book, Never Give Up. Now that can be found um, on, on Amazon, correct? Correct. And, and through my website. Okay, wonderful. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to link your book. I'm going to put it on my uh, storefront on jamesmillerlifeology.com so people can either directly buy it off of my website, which will link it to Amazon, uh, and also we'll get your information as far as where people can find your website as well and where they can reach out to you to find out more information about you. So where will that website be found? The website is themindbodyandspirit.net. Wonderful. So Jenny, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on my show. I know your story has very, been very inspirational, and, and I know it's going to touch a lot of the people who are hearing it today. So thank you once again for being a guest on my show. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I also want to thank you, the listener, for joining with us today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you joined with us today. Also, please visit my website where you may enroll in Lifeology Academy, read my published articles, and watch all my YouTube episodes I created just for you. If you would like to become a show sponsor or become a guest, please visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.